0: mm <laughs> That's chirpybirdinc.com. Hey there, and welcome to Hit Like a Girl Pod. On today's episode, we're talking with Rachel Jones, the Senior Vice President of Performance, Analytics, and Quality at Cotivity. She talks with us about managing change over time and prioritizing self-care so she can be sure she's giving her best to her team and community. All right, let's get started. Thank you for joining us today. We are really excited to have on the podcast Rachel Jones. And Rachel, thank you for being with us. Would you mind sharing with us a little bit about yourself and your piece of the health IT puzzle?
1: Thank you, Joy and Therese. I appreciate so much the opportunity to share with you guys today. Again, my name is Rachel Jones, and I have P&L responsibility for the Performance, Analytics, and Quality Business Unit at Cotivity, which is a leading health technology company. Now, what that means is that I spend my time thinking about how I can make life a bit easier for our clients and our business partners through the range of solutions that we offer, particularly in the HEDIS and quality, as well as network intelligence or network management and cost of care analytics space and the services that we provide, our advisory services, our client services, again, focused on how we can improve the efficiency and, and help our clients and our customers get the answers they need to make decisions. My background in healthcare over the last two and a half decades has been divided into sort of Thirds, I would say, a third of my of my background has been in leading analytic teams focused on medical cost, provider economics, and network management, and value based care. And I know Joy, we share that in common. And I spent about a third of my career developing products and solution strategies focused on product management, product launches, taking products to market, client management, and the solution delivery. And I would say the other third of my experience has really been in understanding how I can help contribute to shaping organizational development, either that be through developing business strategies or evaluating investments, leading teams. And something I'm really passionate about is coaching and recruiting and coaching top talent to help them achieve their fullest potential, I believe, really in helping others achieve their success. Sort of the old Vidal Sassoon method of I look good when you look good. (laughs) Right. So that's something I'm I'm super passionate about.
0: It sounds like a lot of what you do has to do with change management and just kind of like having a vision and making sure that everybody is aligned to get to that vision. Is there anything you can speak to over the years of your career that you you know, any lessons learned or anything that you can think of? Like, how do we embrace change? Because that is like the ever, like we all know that it's coming, but nobody really likes it. So (laughs) I think it's pretty hard to be a human without embracing change. So let's just
1: start there, right? Change is human. All of life is change. If you're not changing, you're likely not living, right? But fundamentally, I think what draws me to this space and the space of healthcare is the fact that it's always changing. I think over my career, I have sort of, gravitated towards roles that have involved complex issues, complexity in systems, complexity in politics or policies, nuances, and how things can be delivered or perceived. And I think that's super exciting. And I think if you can... get to a place where you embrace the change and you see it as really a journey, right? You never quite arrive. You're always on some journey to achieve something, fix something, make things better. And if you can get excited by the journey versus being attached to the outcome, I think that's where the fulfillment comes from, right? When you can really lean in to the fact that this is a part of the journey. It's supposed to change. It's supposed to always be evolving because it's a living organism, right? Whatever you're doing, whether it be a new role or or a new company you're working with or a new problem you're tackling, I really think getting excited and getting curious about what's happening can really unlock a whole different mindset and make the process a lot more fun.
0: I totally agree. I think that when I think about our transition to value-based care and how that has taken, is still taking so much time, I always found it frustrating when people thought, when people would like give the feedback, like we're not there yet. It's not done yet. And I'm like, well, we just started, <laughs> you know, it was know. Like, like on year one or year two and sort of like, this idea that we as a society have short-term visions and short-term goals when really we need to be looking at, you know, what's on the horizon and what do we need to do now in order to get there? Understanding that even when we get there, the horizon is going to be different yeah, there as yeah, well. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, that's so true. I love that thought process about, you know, our society's fixation with short-term goals. That's why we have 10-day diets and cleanses. That's why we have, you know, microwave meals and things like that. We want it fast, we want it now. But if you think about health like organized health it really hasn't been that long. When was Medicare established? In the you know what was the forties, fifties, or the sixties. I don't get me wrong. I don't want to quote this wrong, but it hasn't been that long. Put it that way, right? And we're still making changes, and we're still improving, and we're still learning on how to actually create value. And I think that's the thing that people lose sight of. The whole point of why we're in this space, the whole point of why we're trying to align incentives around value is that what we're paying for, we're not getting the outcomes. We pay more per dollar than any other you know, advanced nation in the world, and our outcomes keep falling. We have the worst maternal health statistics, especially for African-American women, right? We have a maternity health crisis right now going on in the country, yet we pay more, right? So something is not aligned. So if you think about that, That should make you excited to say, how can we keep chipping away at this and let's have a long term view and really have lasting and sustaining change? I'm not interested in microwave change because it's, you know, you microwave a meal, you put it down on the counter, five seconds later, it's hard and it's cold. Who wants that? Right. We want sustaining change. We want something that will stand the test of time. And I think. If you are involved in healthcare, that should really excite you to figure out what can we do to create value, right? And not just keep spending for less quality outcomes.
0: So can you talk a little bit about your work, what it is you guys are doing to create lasting outcomes? Yeah, yeah, I
1: I absolutely can. I'm super fortunate and excited to be able to lead a team that is really focused, I think I would say on three areas right now. There is this intersection of what I would call advanced analytics. That's kind of my catch-all phrase for all these things we hear about, natural language processing, artificial intelligence, big data, all these buzzwords, right? But the crux of that is how can you take all of these new technologies and new tools, many of them outside of the healthcare space, supply chain, retail, you know, other sort of financial industries, things like that? How can we take that into healthcare to help us shape insights and inform our strategy? So one thing the pandemic has shown us is that people will go to take their non-urgent care through a phone or through a mobile device, right? So telehealth. We've also seen the rise of consumerism and the fact that members and patients want to be engaged individually for their unique needs. Things like creating, to our point earlier, high-value networks and looking at health equity issues like social determinants of care. How does poverty, how does food scarcity, how does having a place to live and having access to healthcare. How do all these things play into the risk and the cost of care, right? So we're really looking at this sort of continuum of data and, and all the different things we can capture outside of the claims data and the traditional sources to enrich and inform our insights. So we're doing that kind of across the board. Everything from our risk adjustment business to our quality and HEDIS measurement business to how we help um, and inform and, and shape network strategy. We're using this sort of advanced analytics as a foundation to help us unlock those insights and then push those insights out to our partners. I mentioned value-based care already. That's an area that we're really focused on right now across all of Cotivity, but particularly in my area of focus in helping, I would say, two main things or two big challenges. You mentioned, Joy, this slow adoption tick, right? Part of that slow path to adoption has been, I would say, in two areas. One is, how do you create the incentive structure that's rewarding to the physician and that helps the plan save money and create better outcomes, right? What does that algebra look like? It's math, right? It's how do you... Which providers are, have the behaviors and the mindsets and the practice patterns to do well? Which populations should you look at and carve in or carve out? How can you create the incentives and the thresholds and the percentages? All those criteria, right? That can be challenging for health plans. So we're helping to streamline that and create systems that help you to model that and create scenarios to help figure out what's the best approach. Now on the back end, say you have a value-based care contract, right? How do you know if it's actually achieving your goals? How do you know if it's actually moving the needle? And then you have all these stakeholders, whether it be your employer groups or your your hospital board or your leadership teams that's asking you, what am I getting for this value, right? What am I getting for this value-based payment that I'm giving to these providers? How can we help you tell that story? How can we help you forecast, more importantly, and say... Right now you are trending towards missing your target and here's how you can change that before it's too late, right? Or here's why you've achieved your target and here's what you've done well, do more of that, right? So we're helping to paint that picture and create the systems and the reporting that helps to add those insights. I think the last thing that we're doing and it kind of all flows into this value story is HEDIS and what I'd call process measurement has been around for a long time and there's a lot of good value that's come from that but what we're seeing is that we have to kind of move beyond that and look at concurrent and ongoing and sort of year-round measurement you don't just look at outcomes seasonally right you don't just oh we're done (laughs) see you in a few months it's how can we look at that along the entire timeline how can we get more predictive and help provide insights to Here's what I know about Rachel. Right. She's a suburban mom. She lives in this area, you know, but she's working and she's probably not going to go go to the doctor for her regular checkup. So let's send her a reminder. Let's push something out to her to make sure we don't miss something because she's now in her 40s and she's going to be on potentially a risk path given her racial makeup or whatever. Right. Like what do we know about these members? Their longitudinal history their makeup, their previous health history, all the things that we know about them. How can we use that information to get more predictive and to push those insights down to the health plans to then engage with their members' with consumer engagement model? So that was a lot, but <laughs> we, are, we are definitely excited about making progress on these areas because I do think that's when you start to create that lasting change. Okay, so we're looking at a system now where we're moving from kind of a cottage model of care to more of a precise model of care. And the future of healthcare analytics is kind of um, in a peculiar position because we want to... So many stakeholders want to, to your point earlier, Amazon, like the whole system, while at the same time, we have to create some type of sustainability. So where do you see going in the future? Where are you taking your expertise? I do think that there are a lot of entrants in the healthcare space because it hasn't been the most efficient, right? Because it seems like this is the next frontier, But what people like the Amazons of the world, and that's why they sort of said, no, thank you, we're good. (laughs) What they learn once they get here is that it's really hard to make change when healthcare delivery is extremely personal, but the systems and the processes and all the back end behind the curtain stuff is very complex and also very regulated, right? It's a heavily regulated space. Compliance, privacy, all these things create complexities that you know make a lot of these companies who think, oh, will, it's just data, we can just figure it out, run away, right? So the folks who are in it, I think, are looking at the next transformation as let's make the right steps Let's look at how we can create digital interlinkings, right? Right now, I would say one of the biggest challenges that we have in healthcare is things are not connected. And we know as consumers, when you open up your phone and you download an app and you enter your Apple ID or your Google ID or password, all your settings, boom, voila, are there, right? We are used to an interconnected world everywhere outside of healthcare. So why is it when I go to the doctor, I have to fill the same form out every time? They know who I am. (laughs) They know I've signed off on the same requirement, but here I am, once again, signing it off. And when I go to my PCP, and then I go to my podiatrist, and I go back to my OB, I have to continue to duplicate that process over and over again. And those systems don't talk to each other. Even when they're on the same portal system, the portals don't talk to each other. So what that means is that we have so much inefficiency and so much waste and so much redundancy in the way we approach our work. And I think the biggest opportunity in the, in the areas like companies like Cotivity is focused on is, OK, how can we take all these things that we have developed, these assets, whether it be payment focused assets that look at, payment accuracy and claim validation, risk adjustment assets that look at how do we make sure we're paying the right amount of money for the severity of care that we're treating, whether it be quality assets or network assets. All of these things have what at the center? The patient, right? How can we pull that together and create new meaning? So you'll see a lot of that focus on integration, interconnectivity, and leveraging a lot of these new technologies, especially as we go more digital, to help us achieve that. I think the other big opportunity for companies like ours is to start to create meaningful change. And to do that, you have to first create a point of view in the conversation around health equity. This concept of health equity, especially in the COVID era, really came to light when you saw that the people who were most vulnerable, the people who were living in areas that were overpopulated or not safe, or who had frontline jobs, who couldn't have the luxury of working from home, right, with their laptops and their bubbles, were the ones who had the most disparate outcomes. So how can we identify those members How can we create strategies for how to manage their care and prevent things from worsening, especially chronic conditions? And how can we partner with local organizations, community organizations, churches, barbershops, food banks? to give those resources to members who need it most, right? And I think that companies like Cotivity have an opportunity to be that nerve center, to be that predictive and the intelligent arm to help, one, aggregate the data, two, synthesize and analyze it to create meaning, and then finally push that meaning out to where it matters most. And I think when we do that, I think that's when we'll start to see lasting and meaningful change.
0: Thank you for that. I want to know a little bit more about you, Rachel. If we Okay. Can, if we can take a minute. And Sure. I just keep thinking, if somebody wanted your job, if somebody was like, I aspire to do what Rachel Jones does, what would they need to do? How, like, what path would you recommend for them?
1: Well, I would say there is no roadmap. I think one of the things that I marvel at is I had no desire to do anything with technology when I left graduate school. In fact, I wanted to be a doctor. <laughs> and I went to a medical school training program in my junior year of college. And I was asking all these questions about why the member got here and what happens after they leave. And the feedback was, you might want to be a hospital administrator. I don't think you actually want to be a doctor. (laughs) So I actually set out to be a hospital administrator. I went to grad school with the intention of working in a hospital. And that was my first job, was in a hospital environment. And I sort of stumbled into data and the world of, I guess, technology because of my experience in quality management doing process improvement charts and working on the floor with nurses and realizing that you can do all the fancy charts and fancy analysis that you want to pinpoint what you think the root cause of the problem is. But if you can't communicate that to the nurses on the floor or to the physicians or to the lab techs as to why moving this thing from this part of the floor to that part of the floor cuts down the turnaround time and creates the efficiency, It's meaningless. So what that showed me was it's not so much knowing the data, it's being able to tell a story and to actually answer a question and create an insight, right, is going to create the change. And so that sort of experience started to have, I guess, create a little seed around, wow, I'm really inspired by trying to figure out how things work. And I guess I kind of followed that seed, right? So I left the hospital setting and went to the payer setting to do a similar thing. And then that took me to a technology company, start to create and design software solutions that could help solve those problems. So if anyone was, I guess, looking to how they could go on a path, my advice would be figure out what is the thing about what you do that is most exciting or most People say passion a lot. I don't know if it's passion because there's bad days and you know, passion has to sustain the bad days. I think it's more about what are the things that you're doing that really gets your, your wheels turning. For me, that's solving a very complex problem or trying to figure out how the pieces of the puzzle come together to create a bigger whole and then sort of communicating that broader vision to someone or someone's who can mobilize and make a change. And I think that's something that's transferable and you could take that with you. And my goal has been to have a broader, broader, broader reach, right? So I'm still doing the same things I was doing way back in the day as a management engineer for a tertiary hospital center, which was looking at how we can solve this problem and create efficiencies. But my scope has become bigger and I've been able to lead bigger teams and do bigger things. But the nugget of that is the same. Hopefully that makes sense. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense.
1: So go tell me, Rachel, what do you do to unplug and log out? Where do you go? What do you do? What are your happy? I love this question. So I'm a big fan of the Miracle Morning. People who work with me are sort of sick of me hearing me talk about it. Do you guys know the Miracle Morning? The Miracle Morning, if you don't know, is based on this book that I, well, I'm sure there's lots of different authors and and practices, but this particular one I found maybe seven years ago now, probably a little longer. A gentleman named Hal Elrod wrote this book, The Miracle Morning, and it really simplified for me a way of making sure that I start my day with purpose and with intention and it's really simple. It's, you know, it's savers, right? So silence, meditation. So trying to center yourself and you don't need candles and music, but you can. For me, it's 5-10 minutes of just either sitting in silence or, you know, I, I'll use apps like the Calm app or what have you to sort of think about a particular message for the day. The A is affirmation. I'm a big believer in speaking life over yourself. I'm very intentional with my words. I try to Have my son follow the same thing of being intentional with his words and speaking life. So what are those affirming things I say to myself each morning? B is vision. So what is the vision for the day, the vision for the week, the vision for the month, for your life? You can go small, you can go big. E is exercise. I think I'm a big, big, big proponent of you can't pour from an empty cup. So I try to make sure that My physical health remains a priority. We sit so much, especially now that we're all at home. So I try to get at least a half an hour to an hour of exercise daily. Shout out to my Peloton riders out there. (laughs) And the R is for reading. So I try to do some sort of reading. Would that be devotional? I'm a spiritual person. So I try to read some sort of devotional thing each morning or something to enrich my mind. And the S is scribing, so journaling, whether that be a quick list of what I'm thankful for or something I'm reflecting from what I read. But I try to practice this for the most part every day. Sometimes it can be an hour, sometimes it can be 10 minutes, depending on what's going on. But I find that being selfish with that little time for myself allows me to give freely the rest of the day, right? And it's sort of that that adage they tell you on the plane with, you know, in cases of turbulence, put the oxygen mask on first before you help somebody else. You've got to make sure you're pouring in and you're filling up and you're taking that time. And so between my job, my son, we have a puppy. (laughs) I don't have a lot of free time, I would say, but I would say that that time, everybody knows like I'm not answering the phones unless you are on fire. Don't bother me (laughs)
0: in that miracle morning space. So that's something that
1: I'm pretty selfish with in terms of, you know, what I do for me.
0: I wouldn't call that selfish at all. In fact, I think that it has become really clear that we carry our energy around and it transfers. And so if you can manage your own energy and make sure that you're bringing your best out, then it allows you to bring out the best in others. And it's not just a saying, it it really is true. So I don't Mm -hmm. don't find that selfish at all. I think that that's actually really a giving and thoughtful thing that you can do for others. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, Rachel, we are running into the end of our time together. I wanted to thank you so much for being with us today. If somebody wanted to follow you, follow your company, where would they find you? How would they connect?
1: Sure. So we do have our website, Cotivity.com. I'm assuming you guys will maybe put it in the links or so like that. We are on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn under Rachel Jones, I think, or Rachel McCalla Jones. I might have my name in there still. I'm actually not sure. But I am on LinkedIn and our company is also on LinkedIn as well. So feel free to follow us. And we always have lots of different events, webinars, blog posts, etc. So lots of ways to interact.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. We'll make sure to include all of that in the show notes for this podcast. So awesome. Yeah. Thank you again. It's been very nice to meet you. Same, same. Thank you, ladies. <laughs> nice right. to meet you. Have fun on your road
1: trip. Wish I could thank come. you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thanks for listening. You can learn more about us or this guest by going to our website or visiting us on any of the socials with the handle Hit Like a Girl Pod. Thanks again. See you soon. Hit Like a Girl Podcast is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. One thing I love about working with them is that they're mission driven